The first Sunday of Lent has as its theme temptation. And this theme hangs on the second reading. That's the hinge of all of the readings. And particularly the verse which says, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when we're faced with temptation, right at the beginning, before it gets too far, if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. Now that seems like an obvious thing to do, but in actuality, the entire fall of the human race took place because that was not done with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were given a command by God not to eat from the fruit of a tree at the center of the garden. They knew that. They had everything. God gave them the entire garden, dominion, kingship. When the serpent came in, the serpent started to speak to Eve, speak words of lies. First thing out of his mouth was, did God really say that you should not eat from any of the trees of the garden? Now right away, she should have called upon the name of the Lord and there would not have been the fall. But she starts negotiating. She thinks she's entitled to a dialogue with the serpent. And so she says, well, actually, it's only the tree at the center of the garden that we cannot eat of or touch, otherwise we will die. So now she adds an element that was not there. God did not say, you can't touch the fruit, but she added that in. So we have Satan obscuring the word of God and now Eve joining him. And then Satan says the great lie. You shall not die, but if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God, wise like God, able to discern good from evil. Well, there's the fall. She's engaging in this conversation with an agent that is superior to her without calling on the name of the Lord. In fact, she treats God as a kind of a third person. She refers to God in the abstract, but doesn't call upon his name. Notice there's three great temptations in the garden. The threefold concupiscence, the way the church calls it. First of all, the text in Genesis says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. There is the lust of the flesh. She sees that tree and the fruit is good for food. She wants to consume that fruit to satisfy the lust of her passions. Now that's a disordered desire because she knows she has a command against that from God. So there's the first disorder, the lust of the flesh. The text goes on to say, and she saw that it was pleasing to the eyes. She liked the appearance of the fruit. She wanted to possess it. Now the lust of the eyes is, I want to possess something I know I'm not entitled to. And that's a major temptation for all of us. And then the third, it says, she took the fruit because she wanted to be like God, wise. There's pride. She wanted to be like God, without God. Those are the threefold disordered desires. The reason that's important is what happens in the desert in today's gospel. So the Garden of Eden has become a desert because of sin. And now Jesus, who's the new Adam, will come into the desert 
and conquer Satan. With, again, those threefold temptations Satan will hurl at Jesus. Satan knows Jesus has fasted 40 days. He's hungry. The very first temptation, why don't you turn those stones into bread? Satisfy your passion, your lust for that food. Use your power that way. Notice what Jesus does, the new Adam. He does not enter into a negotiation with Satan. He calls upon the name of the Lord. In his human nature, he is being tempted. What's his response? He quotes scripture. The only words out of his mouth, man does not live by bread alone. A direct quote from Deuteronomy. So he's calling upon the name of the Lord by quoting scripture, which is God's word. Then the next temptation is the lust of the eyes. Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and says, look at all the kingdoms, they're mine. They've been given to me. Of course, they were given to him by Adam and Eve who forfeited it by the sin. So there's the lust of the eyes. If you bow down to me, all that you see, you can possess. Again, Jesus doesn't start negotiating. He simply quotes scripture. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the third is the pride of life because Satan takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, the most important building in Jerusalem. All the people would be seeing this. And the temptation is, hurl yourself off the top of the temple, and the angels will come and catch you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And they will all now bow down and worship you because they see this great feat. There's the temptation to pride, to vanity. Again, Jesus doesn't enter into any kind of negotiation in his human nature. He simply quotes scripture. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's the lesson for us in our whole life. We are certainly face temptation in our lives. Right at the beginning, before we start dithering and saying, well, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that, maybe just a little bit of this. No, you call upon the name of the Lord, and we're saved. The second part of how we resist temptation is really found in Ash Wednesday's Gospel, where we have the threefold disciplines, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Those are deliberately chosen, they're taken from Scripture, because they directly confront the threefold concupiscence that fell Adam and Eve. The lust of the flesh, that desire to consume and to satisfy our passions all the time? Fasting. Fasting. You can't very well lust of the flesh when you're actually detaching yourself. Second great temptation, the lust of the eyes. I want to possess everything I see. The remedy for that is simply almsgiving. You can't very well lust after everything you see when you're giving away your own possessions. And then finally, prayer, which directly combats pride, because when we pray, we know we're not sufficient in ourselves. We're praying to a higher power. We're praying to God. We're asking for help. And that's an act of humility. Those three great disciplines confront the threefold disordered desires. Now, some people take those vows very seriously and live their whole lives out of those three vows. That's the religious, nuns, sisters, priests, religious orders. 
So they take the vow of poverty, which again, you can't be lusting after the eyes of everything you see when you have taken a vow of poverty. Chastity directly confronts the lust of the flesh, and then obedience confronts pride because you're obeying the mother superior. Now, these threefold temptations are extremely important, not just for us individually, but actually these sins go far beyond to nations, powers, principalities. Now, let's just examine what's happening in the Ukraine. Two of those great temptations, the lust of the eyes, someone is seeing something they're not entitled to, that is another country, Ukraine, and lusting after it, and willing to do anything that's necessary to take it. That's the lust of the eyes. The pride of life, thinking they have the power, they have the army, they have the right to consume another's possessions. Those are great temptations, and they act in structural ways as well. Finally, I just want to end with a comment on the psalm response, because that's very, very important in this whole area of temptation. It's Psalm 91. Now, Psalm 91, Jewish tradition holds as one of the four psalms that were composed by David for the purpose of exorcism. It's an exorcism psalm that's sung over a person who's oppressed by demons. It says, You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, there's calling upon the name of the Lord. No evil shall follow you, no scourge shall come your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That's where the church gets the idea of the guardian angel. We have a guardian angel. Now, this is where Satan quotes this particular psalm in the gospel today. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Remember, that's what Satan told Jesus. If you throw yourself off the temple, the angels will guard you. Now, he takes that out of context because what Satan doesn't do is quote the very next line in this psalm, which says, You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the scepter, the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now there's the remedy. We call upon the name of the Lord, and God acting through us will trample Satan, the serpent, underfoot. If you pray the Liturgy of the Hours, the night prayer on Sunday evening, the last thing you pray before you go to bed is this psalm. Why? Because we want protection as we sleep, lest we get attacked by a demon or some kind of bad dream or nightmare. And the antiphon for that night prayer is this. Night holds no terrors for me under God's wings. So that's why we pray this psalm just before we go to bed. It's an exorcism psalm. We're asking our guardian angel to help us, and we're calling upon the name of the Lord. As it says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. 
So it's a beautiful set of readings for this opening of Lent, dealing with this very important area of temptation, that is call upon the name of the Lord, and then make those three disciplines, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, a regular part of our lives, and gain victory in all areas of our life and give glory to God.